We're going to do the scripture reading here in just a second, but before we get to that, I have two cards here from Project 41, and I was just going to read them. They want to show their appreciation to the church. First one says, just wanted to say thank you so much for all your love and support. We really appreciate all the food and donations, especially the home-cooked meals, especially the chicken and dumplings and the chicken tetrazzini. So whoever cooked that, if you feel the need to, you can bring some to my house and we can taste it for you too. Um, The second card says, thank you so much for all the donations you've given to us at Project 41. God bless us, Laura White. So that is a good thing that we are doing for this group and I just hopefully we can continue to do that and continue to touch them. Scripture reading today is from 2 Peter 3. I think Neil wants me to read you the whole Bible today. (laughs) If you have a large print Bible, it is on page, I guess this is a regular Bible, on page 1277. It starts off, verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and command by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but to everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends... Since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be glory, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. 
We pray that God will bless the reading of his word. Well, we're here at the final, the grand finale of this really long series we've been in on the life of Peter. And Peter, of course, one of Jesus' most famous apostles. And everyone knows about him either as St. Peter or as Peter the Apostle or Peter the Fisherman or uh, any number of stories that you may or may not have heard about Peter. But uh, boy, as we've looked through his life, it's been, it's been impressive to see all that he experienced and did in his life. But you know what? The last couple of weeks here, we're not looking at something, an event from Peter's life. We're looking at words that Peter is, uh, you know, it's a, are attributed to him as words that he wrote to the early church. And so these are, these come towards the end of Peter's life, you know, and as you get on towards the end of your life, for a lot of us anyway, you know, you start thinking about your life, right? And you start reflecting on things you've done, people you've met, what you, you know, the things you've experienced throughout the course of your life. And I just wonder what it would be like to be Peter and to look back on your life and, you know, and and the life that was supposed to be fishing, right? That was the that was the expectation that everybody had, himself included, that he would be a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee for his whole life, as his father had and his father had. And that's just what you did. You followed in the footsteps of your parents, of the lineage that was passed and handed down to you. And so here's Peter, you know, towards the end of his life, and I just marvel at look, you know, looking back and seeing how meeting that one guy <laughs> turned everything upside down for Peter. And now here he is in this leadership role in this movement that he helped launch. And he's looking around at all that he and Jesus have accomplished together along with the other apostles and believers of the early church. And he's worried. He's worried and he feels the need to write in this last letter a warning. And we're going to look at that warning today. But one thing, you know, if anything we've taken away from this series so far, hopefully you've taken away this, that, that while faith is nice, bold faith is even better, right? That, you know, it's nice to have faith. It's even better to have bold faith. And I hope that through this series, Peter has inspired you to be a little bolder in your faith than you were before. He has a way of doing that. People who, who live bold lives of faith are an inspiration to us, both in the past and today. The people we see around us who boldly live out what they say they believe. That's, that's an inspiration to all of us. And, and may we all be a little bit better at living out our faith a little bolder so that people around us can see what we're doing and, and hopefully be inspired by it to, to come to faith in their own right. So anyhow, Peter gives this bold warning in this letter. And I was thinking about bold warnings. And and ladies, I want to give you a bold warning today. Did you know that it's possible to give birth to a child and not even know that you were pregnant? (laughs) Now, now Julie and other ladies who have been pregnant before are saying, no, it's not. (laughs) No, it's not possible. But this happens. I mean, there are stories, whether you've read them or not, of of women who gave birth to children and never saw it coming. Don't ask me how. I'm not a doctor. I just read the stories, all right? Uh, There's one, for instance, where this girl is on a plane from 
Canada to Japan. Now, that's a long flight. Whichever way you go, <laughs> it's a long flight. And she reportedly said that she took two separate pregnancy tests before she boarded the plane. You know, I don't know how much before, but before. Gets on the plane and gives birth to a child on the plane. Had no idea she was pregnant. The good news is she got moved to first class. So, they had that working for her. Uh, you know, there's another one, maybe the most famous one. This is the one that I had for sure heard of before, you know, before thinking about this. But there was a girl in, in Britain who woke up in the night, thought she was having gas, went and sat on the toilet and delivered a baby on her toilet. Now, she said she caught it before the baby hit the water, but, so that's good. But, but this is crazy that that could happen. But it made me think about what would those ladies have done different in the months leading up to that event had they known that they were pregnant. I mean, because that's a big deal, right? Being pregnant and knowing that you're on whatever day, nine months down the road, I'm going to give birth to a child. That's going to change my life in a significant way. So, I mean, would they have, you know, maybe bought a crib and made a nursery? I mean, would they have taken vitamins? Would they have watched what they ate or what they drank or what they smoked, you know? Would, would they have changed their behavior any had they known what was next? I'm guessing so. <laughs> that's kind of a big deal. And that's the thing about big, big stuff that we know is coming. It changes the way we behave and the way we act now, you know? I mean, some of you guys have finals coming up, right? Finals are coming. That's, that's coming up next. So that means right now, <laughs> you've got to be studying. And we understand that. We get that, you know. Or, or uh, Jess has got a wedding coming up soon. So, you know, a wedding is coming up next. So there's some stuff that has to happen now. You know, you have to line up a preacher <laughs> for one thing, you know, or something like that. So, uh, so there's just, when, when there's a big event coming, we understand there's things that need to be happening now. But I'm worried, just as, as Peter was worried, that there's a big next when it comes to something, things in our faith life that either gets ignored or written off. And, and Peter looked around at the early church. I mean, we're talking the first century. And he was worried about something, so much so that he wrote a letter warning people about this thing he calls false teaching. Now, Peter is not the only one worried about false teaching. The, the Apostle Paul wrote about it. And, and we have other letters as well that in our New Testament that talk about this issue of false teaching. What's the big deal with false teaching? What's the big deal with having sound doctrine and theology? I mean, it sounds kind of boring, right? Leave that to the theologians. But the thing is, unsound doctrine and, and unsound theology lead to wrong behavior. It leads to poor outcomes. Unsound doctrine and unsound theology can make it easier for a believer to become an unbeliever and harder for an unbeliever to become a believer. And so Peter looks out at the church and he identifies this, what he calls a false teaching that is concerning enough to him that he writes a warning. See, even there in the first century, there were people saying... So where is this Jesus guy? I mean, you said he was going to come back. He hasn't come back yet. 
I mean, just, just a few short decades after Jesus' resurrection, there are already people who Peter identifies as false teachers saying, so if he's coming, why hasn't he come? Maybe he's not coming. Maybe we should just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Now what's interesting is, even though this happened in the early church at such an early stage, this actually wasn't new even to them. People had been espousing this kind of thinking for hundreds of years. And we have records back to 300 B.C. in the Greco-Roman philosopher world of of people, a, a movement that began with Epicurus, perhaps. Uh, maybe you've heard of Epicureanism or Epicurus, who you know basically espoused the idea that well, if the gods exist at all, they're way far away, and they have nothing to do with our lives, and they're not going to intervene in our lives, and we don't need to worry about them, and we we're left to our own devices, and we've got to figure this out on our own. And here, shortly after Jesus' resurrection, as the movement is spread, here we have a different version of it, saying, Jesus isn't coming back. You don't have to worry about that. Let's just get on, you know, all his teachings and everything, that's nice and good, and we can order our lives, you know, with that, and we can, you know, but he's not coming. You don't need to worry about that. And this has continued, this philosophy. In the 1700s, during the Enlightenment uh, there was a brand of Christianity that emerged and was espoused also by many of our founding fathers who that, you know, looked at, at Christianity as, well, God's way up there and we're way down here and he's not that involved with stuff down here and human progress is left to us and, and to our own devices and we're going to push it forward in our wisdom the best we can and, and uh, God has kind of set things in motion, if you will, but he's not really all that involved in our lives. And so here we are all these years later, and, and even though the Apostle Peter was writing about you know, this claim that was circulating in the early church about, he's not really coming. You know, maybe none of us would say, oh, he's not coming. But it's not something we worry about, is it? It's not something much on our right. None of us expects Christ to return now. None of us probably expect to see it in our lifetime, although sometimes you probably read the news and think, whew, I wonder. (laughs) But even beyond that, few of us order our lives as though His coming were imminent. It's not something that's really on our radar. And so I think that what the Apostle Peter wrote to them is pertinent to us. He wrote things like, first of all, You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Now this kind of cracked me up. Scoffers will come scoffing. I mean, that's what they do, right? Kind of reminds me of, like nowadays it's popular to say, haters gonna hate. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but this is like the first century versions of that. You know, scoffers gonna scoff, (laughs) I guess. Uh, Anyway, so Peter was saying there's these scoffers that have come along, these false teachers who have come along and... You know, they're going to be around. And you hear lots of the apostles talk about, look, in the last days, people are just going to want to hear what they want to hear. And they'll find teachers to tell them what they want to hear. And if you want to hear that you can do whatever you want, live however you want, then you can find a teacher that will tell you that. And so he, he warns them about this in the last days. And I just want to point out, we're in the last days. You know, there's, there's people teaching nowadays that the last days is something yet to come. But... 
Biblically speaking, every day from the ascension of Christ to heaven and the coming of the Holy Spirit, every day from that moment as the church launched to when Christ returns are the last days. And we don't know exactly when his return will happen, but these are the last days. And so anything that he says about the last days applies to us today. And we certainly know that there's folks around today that though they call themselves Christian or identify with Jesus, they teach a gospel that's very different from the one we read about in God's word. And we have to be aware of that. Sound doctrine and theology matters for the reasons we stated a few moments ago. And Peter goes on. He says, don't forget this one thing, friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And he's quoting from Psalm 90, verse 4, that also shares about this whole thing with God and the way he views time. And, you know, it's interesting. Why would we think that the God who created the universe is bound to our concept of time? Why would we think that he cares about the orbit of our earth and, and how long it takes it to get around the sun and all those things that he does not need one of our calendars, doesn't need one of our watches. Our system of time has little to do with him. He is beyond time. In fact, one uh, C.S. Lewis wrote about this and, and he put forth a theory that I just find interesting. There's, there's no proof or evidence for it, but it, maybe it kind of helps us think outside the box a little bit on this whole time thing. And he suggested that perhaps time for God is like a thread that he's stretched out in front of him. Like a timeline, right? And, you know, our history begins over here on this end and flows to this end. Or if you need it to start on this end, that's okay. And you can come to this end. But he's standing on the outside of this thing. And it's as though every moment throughout human history is, is present to him. Isn't that interesting? If you took a timeline, when you take a timeline and you look at it, you know, it's all there, available to your view. And C.S. Lewis suggested that, you know, perhaps past, present, and future is like this thread stretched out before God. And he can look at all of it at once. (laughs) I don't know if that's what it's like to be God. Maybe we'll never know the answer to that. But anyhow, we do know He's not concerned about time the way we are. An eternal God who has always been and who always will be, you know, something that seems long to us does not seem long to him, right? Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is so interesting because you know, it answers the question of why hasn't he returned yet? That people were already asking in Peter's day. He said, well, he's patient. He wants as many people to be saved as can possibly be saved. We don't know all the reasons. We, don't know, we can't possibly understand or fathom all of God's goals and end games with everything, but we do know this, that he promised to return. And he's patiently waiting in hopes that the kingdom mission will be furthered. We'll come back to that in a second. 
Peter talks about by this same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Whew. Now, if, uh, if any of you who were in our Return of the King class, you may remember a term called apocalypticism. <laughs> That's a big one. Apocalypticism. Don't ask me to say it three times fast. I do good to get it once. But this is a genre of literature that was, in ancient Judaism was uh, commonly used, especially when you talk about anything hard to understand, hard to wrap your mind around. People would have visions of things and they would write it down in apocalyptic terms. It often uses the terms like, 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 like a, like a roar, like a fire and so forth. And, and there are these big cosmic terms and, and massive, you know, earth-shattering destruction and things like that that are often used to describe, you know, even they'll use symbolism of different kinds, including numbers, you know, special numbers that meant something in Judaism. And, and a lot of times we look at stuff like that and it's hard for us to sort out, you know. There's a lot of talk in the New Testament about end times that's clear and, and pretty straightforward. But then there's Sometimes where they go all apocalyptic on us, all right? And it's a little bit harder for us to figure out. It, it doesn't fit into the way we like things to be organized. You know, this is partly just the, the way that we're wired in our culture. If something is, is true, if something is factual, then we like it to be laid out in a textbook or encyclopedia, black and white, clear cut, tell it like it is. But in other cultures, even today, but certainly throughout ancient history, there, that was not the case. And many people believe today and still and believed certainly in the past that that's not always the best way to communicate truth. And sometimes truth is better communicated, say, through a parable or say through symbolism or something poetic, imagery. All these things that for us were like, mm, most of us don't have much to do with how many of you enjoy reading poetry in the evening by a firelight, right? <laughs> it's something people used to really enjoy a lot. And we're not as into it. We want, let's read some news articles or, you know, let's you know, read a blog post about it. And we want everything to be clear cut. And so, but let's not make the mistake to say that just because something isn't literal in the sense that we're used to our facts coming literally just because there's symbolism involved and things like that doesn't make it less true in fact sometimes truth can better be communicated through means like that and so much of your you have to you know there's many different kinds of books in your bible many different kinds of literature contained there and not all of it is intended to be encyclopedic and we do it an injustice when we read it and try to make it as though it's a textbook in our college 101 class. All right? It's, it's richer than that. So anyhow, we don't know for sure whether fire will literally burn up all the elements or whether Peter is just driving at a truth with apocalyptic terms, as many people did. But what we do know 
is that the world as we know it will come to an end when Christ returns. And when he returns, it'll be like a thief in the sense that you don't know when a thief's coming. He doesn't call and make an appointment. Jesus isn't calling and making an appointment either. He's just going to come when he's ready. When the Father sends him. And so he'll show up and the world as we know it will cease to exist. And a new heaven and a new earth will be created. And part of that is everything will be laid bare before him. We're told that he comes as a judge. And get this. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. That's judgment. And speed, it's coming. Now we're going to start filling in some of the blanks on your cards if you're interested in doing that. Uh, if you feel like you missed one, you did. And we'll come to that. We're kind of going out of order on it, so just hang in there. Those of you that that drives you crazy, I apologize. We're not going to go in exact order today. But here's a few things that, and this kind of shows what Peter was worried about with this false teaching. As, as people began to buy into this, well, you know, Jesus isn't coming, or if he is, it's a long ways away. It's not something we need to worry about. We don't need to worry about judgment and all that kind of thing. He says, well, let's get a few things straight. He is coming back. This is what's going to happen. And he spells all that out. And then he says, if this is going to happen, then... What kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives. See, that first letter, remember we looked at it last week. Peter talked about living holy and godly lives. That was the subject of his first letter. Encouraging the church to put their faith in action to prove that they are Christians by the way they live their life. And here we see he's worried that this new false teaching is going to undermine that. And get this, as you look forward to Christ's return and judgment and all that stuff, the day of the Lord. I mean, in our culture, in our Christian culture nowadays, judgment is seldom talked about as something to be looked forward to, right? But something to be afraid of. And I'm afraid that that's, if that's the only way we see judgment, it's unbiblical. Because in the Bible, from the Old Testament right up through the New, it's something to be looked forward to. It's something to be looked forward to. And, and maybe that's kind of hard to, re- why would we look forward to judgment? And the be- one of the best illustrations that I've come up with so far, and I'm sorry if it's sorry, it's just the best I've come up with so far, but how many of you have seen The Magnificent Seven? Old Western if you haven't, it's a crying shame. And even if you don't like westerns, go watch it. And apparently they're going to come out with a new Magnificent Seven in the fall. Go watch the original before you watch the new one. I haven't even seen it yet, but I can tell you it doesn't measure up. Probably isn't even going to have the same awesome soundtrack. So you just got to go and, and watch Magnificent Seven. But in a nutshell, for those of you who haven't seen it, there's this village in Mexico, this little village of farmers. And they're being oppressed by this gang of thugs that rides in once a year, steals all their crops. You know, after they've done all the work of harvesting and everything, this gang of thugs that just goes around tormenting people, they ride in, take what they want, and leave. And it keeps getting worse and worse and worse until the people are thinking, I don't know how much longer we can survive with this. And so they go hunting down somebody to help them. And they end up finding the Magnificent Seven, right? And they they ride into town and things are going to change. And at first, this is a really painful process 
for the village people as they have to confront some some truths about themselves and and it's just difficult. You know, things get worse before they get better. But then in the end, you know, justice is delivered. The Magnificent Seven, they come through. The, the thugs are driven out, never more to return. And it's like the village breathes this sigh of relief. Justice has finally been served. Everything has been set right the way it should. They can go back to their lives without fear. They'll have enough. And so forth. And so... Think of a good judge. You know, when a good judge rides into town and there's tension in the air and things aren't right, when a good judge leaves, things have been set right. Everyone breathes a little easier. This is what a good judge does. This is what happens when justice is served. And this is why we look forward to Christ's return because we look in this world and we see plenty of brokenness. And we see plenty of things that are not right. And that, boy... People's lives and injustices on every page of, of the news. Terror. Criminals. And, and we long, therefore, for Christ to return and to set things right. We long for Him to burn up all that's bad and let's start fresh with things the way that God intended it to be when He created it in the first place. And lastly, he says, not only should you look forward to it, you should speed its coming. Now, how in the world do you do that? (laughs) Well, what's he waiting for? He says he's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish without the gospel, right? And, And Jesus, you may remember this, when he talked about when he would return, he said... The gospel of this kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And we don't know exactly what he means by that, by, by nations, and does that mean that every tribe and group and tongue and, you know, literally has to hear about it before he can return or not? We don't know ex- how specifically he meant that statement. But it's obvious that if, you know, like Peter said, if, you want, if we want to speed his coming... The best way to do that is to get on the mission that he left us as the church. To take the gospel into the world. And yes, we do that by giving and supporting missionaries. But we also do that in other ways too. And by the way we live. And in our willingness to speak up for Christ. Speed, it's coming. All this boils down to this. The next should determine your now. The next should determine your now. If you believe that the next step is Jesus returning to judge and to set things right that have gone so wrong in this world, then shouldn't we now be engaged in that same mission? You know, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is it's part of our work is to partner with the kingdom mission. The kingdom mission is to set things right that have gone wrong. And the church should be about that business as well. I mean, wouldn't it be, I mean, like if someone in that village had refused to work with the Magnificent Seven on their project, you know, of, of free, that, why would you do that? And similarly, 
We need to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And the next should determine your now. If the next is being delayed for the sake of those who have yet to hear about the gospel, then what are we doing to push it forward? What are we doing to promote it with all that we've got? Peter was worried that the next was not determining the now for the church of his day. He was worried about the false teaching. He was worried about the people of the church neglecting the mission. And for Peter, this was unthinkable. This was unthinkable for him because... Peter was on that shore of Galilee when Jesus said to him, Come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. How could the church abandon that mission now? This was unthinkable for Peter because he nearly drowned on that Sea of Galilee when he took his eyes off Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Why did you doubt? So how could the church doubt his coming now? For Peter, this was so unthinkable because he was there the night that Jesus was betrayed and he himself failed Jesus miserably. And that couldn't be allowed to happen again. For Peter, this was unthinkable because he had breakfast on the beach with Jesus, a resurrected Jesus who had died a few days before and now he sat there talking, touching, eating this man who was so much more than a man. And if he resurrected, then surely he would return. And for Peter, this was unthinkable because he saw the Holy Spirit come in power on the Jewish people. He saw him come in power on the Gentile people and push the kingdom mission, launch the kingdom mission forward into the world. He had seen it spread throughout the Roman Empire. And no false teaching was going to stop that mission now, not on his watch, right? This was unthinkable for him. And it should be unthinkable for us. That we would ever buy into the idea that, oh, that's not something we need to worry about. That's not something that we need to look forward to. That's not something that we need to speed up by our actions. Let's just live our lives the way the world does. No. Because not only do we know what happened right after the cross, but we know what comes next. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the hope of Christ's return to set right what went wrong. Lord, we admit that it's easy to get distracted by the things of this world that feel so present. It's easy to lose sight of the mission, to feel like it's not really all that urgent. So Holy Spirit, Correct our thinking. 
Motivate us to the work that you've set out for us for your kingdom mission. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.